acres And the show don't look like cowboy boots And that ain't rock and roll you're playing And it sure ain't country or rhythm and blues You're singing a song about making love to your drummer What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. I apologize it's been two weeks since I've been up on Hera, but I've been doing a podcast with my cousin, Harry. Believe it or not, it's hard to do two podcasts in a day, at least for guys like me. I get like half a day off a week, and the last thing I want to spend it doing is sitting in front of a computer talking at it. I don't see how these guys that have these YouTube channels stream like four or five hours a day, film all this video. It's exhausting. But you didn't pay to hear me talk about that. You paid to hear me talk about everything else. Today is Sunday, March 14th, 2021. Appreciate you tuning in. My name is Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job, living a regular life with lots of opinions. So I come here about once a week, get them off my chest. And there's one thing about me, in case you've forgotten, I don't do pre-recorded intros. So sit back, relax, and let me be in charge of the gasoline and matches for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Because you see, I'm a dinosaur. Give us our hats, excuse the man, but where is the door? Yo, 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 what up all my people? Spring has sprung. It has turned from winter to spring. Actually, it doesn't look like it because we had the, the great freeze of 21. There's still a lot of brown stuff. But it's turning green. The birds are singing. It's nice and warm. I'm ready to be done with winter. I think it's pretty much over with. And we're moving along into spring and summer. But we all know what can happen during the summer. COVID outbreaks. (laughs) I'm just kidding. COVID outbreaks can happen anytime. In fact, I may have gone to a super spreader event yesterday. There's a little bar that we sell our beer at in Port Aransas called The Gaff. And I think every Saturday for the spring and summer, they have uh, belt sander races. And so me and Kale and a buddy of ours loaded up yesterday and went out there and Watched the belt sander racing and drank some of our Nuasis Supremo and had a good time. There was probably about 150, 200 people there, and I think I only saw like two or three masks. And nope, I'm not scared, not even a little bit. Just last week, our governor, Greg Grabbit, rescinded the mask mandate. 
And oh man, you would have thought he legalized the abor- Oh wait, you would have thought that, well, I'll just say this. A lot of people lost these minds and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, he didn't have to ever induce the mask mandate. I feel like lots of people would have still worn masks. What's funny to me is that when he rescinded the mask mandate, everyone got mad, but there's still lots and lots of people wearing their mask. And I think it's kind of sad that there's a group of people who thinks that it must be a law or it must be required. Otherwise, the stupid Neanderthals won't follow the rules, which let's not forget that crazy Joe Biden referred to the governors who rescinded the mask mandate. He referred to them as Neanderthals. (laughs) I mean, has he not seen Greg Abbott lately? The dude's in a wheelchair. But once again, it's a certain group of people who love taking away freedoms. And I'm not going to say that in order to maintain control, but it sure is a nice byproduct. And I can't wait until the numbers reflect that mask mandates are entirely unnecessary. How do I know this? Because you can compare the states that have the mask mandates with the states that never had the mask mandates. I don't understand why no one's willing to, probably because it doesn't fit their narrative. So guess what? You get, you get to hear me stop talking about the masks. Well, I probably will keep talking about the masks, but it no longer bothers me that the government expects me to enforce some silly rule at my place of business. I'm happy now that I get to let my customers make the right decision for themselves. And if I didn't have a business partner or a bunch of people who relied on me for jobs, I would probably put a sign on my door that said, no masks allowed, just to get some free publicity and to piss off the people that would be mad. Either way, I'm glad he took away the mandate. He should have never put it on in the first place, but he redeemed himself a little bit and he lifted it. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we won't have another spike or our numbers will be under control and we'll never have to worry about the mask again. At least we won't have to worry about making people wear it that don't want to wear it. Speaking of clown cars, I'm going to explain a little bit about breweries, how the business works, and how they're not as profitable as you might assume. But I'm not going to talk about just breweries. I'm going to compare a couple other businesses as well. But first, I want you to think about car racing. And I know that a lot of you probably don't know a lot about car racing. So let me just tell you what you need to know for this analogy. In car racing, there's different classes. And in each class, and there's a very strict set of rules within each class. Now, these rules ensure that the cars are similarly situated. That they all have the same carburetors and the same size engines and the same weight within a certain amount of range. And so this is so that there's a fair race. Because if you could just put any size engine or you wanted to modify whatever you wanted to put or you had more money than the next guy, you'd win the race and it wouldn't be a competition. So you can see that it's all the same inputs and equal output. So there are guys out there that always win, but they want to make sure that they're testing their driving skills and not their ability to spend money 
on equipment that makes your car go faster. But all you need to know is that there's a certain number of inputs that are the same, right? Okay, now I want to talk to you about the brewing world. So everyone sees these breweries popping up and they see them busy all the time and they, they see their name all over town and they think, man, they must be making money. I see them all over the place. They're always busy. First thing I want to touch on is how expensive they are to operate. In the brewing process, you're constantly heating things up and cooling them off. And that's a very inefficient process. Storing things at a specified temperature, you're, you're, you're bringing things to a boil, you're instantly cooling it off. So you have to take, you have to take 900 gallons of, of sugar water, which will end up being beer one day, bring it to a boil, boil that for 45 minutes or, or more, and then you have to instantly bring it down to a temperature of about 70 degrees. And if you've ever messed with trying to cool off hot water, it takes a while. It's inefficient. So we have the one machine that makes really, really cold liquid. And we have another piece of equipment that creates steam that we use to boil things. So you're using energy for both of these. One runs off natural gas. One runs off electricity. But they both use a lot of energy. Another thing people don't think about is how much wastewater you go through. So for every gallon of beer that you see on the shelf, about five gallons of water went down the drain. And so that's just from cleaning. You know, everything you do, everything you that beer touches, it gets sticky, it gets nasty. I mean, if you've ever see, left a beer sitting outside in the summer, you've seen that bees come to it, flies come to it. It's packed with all types of things that little critters like, including microorganisms that will turn into fungus and grow nasty stuff. So we use tons of water and chemicals to keep things clean. And when you think of beer, it's not just the ingredients. It's all these other things, the chemicals, the changing of temperatures, you know, not to mention we, we need to store liquid at a cold temperature in the middle of the summer in a warehouse that's not conditioned. We also have to have a giant walk-in cooler where we store our finished beer at 38 degrees. Once again, it's a big room. It takes a lot of energy to keep it cold, especially in the summer. We also have to deliver beer almost every day. Guy gets in a truck, truck's loaded with beer, he has to drive it to wherever it goes, and sometimes he may drive an hour for a $70 check. And so you might think, well, it's not worth it. Well, it might not be now, but one day the guy will be buying more beer. That's what we're banking on. We also have to have a full staff in the tap room to, to manage the bar, to serve the beer and let people taste it, pour glasses of beer. On top of all this, we've got to save money to to pay for things when they break and stuff that fouls up and equipment that goes kaput. All right, so now I want you to visualize two breweries in the same town. They all pretty much have the same costs, right? They have the same inputs. They buy their grain from the same place or their, their hops from the same place. It's all a commodity. So it's not like that some guy who sells grain is going to have grain way cheaper than the next guy. They're all pretty much going to be the same. They all, they all get their grain from the same place, the same farmers, the same roasters. So now you can see that there's a ton of costs in production. You can see that there's very, very high competition on the inputs. So what does that leave? That leaves with the two breweries competing for market share, figuring out what they can do to be more efficient than the next guy. Because you can only make money in two ways. You can either 
sell more product, or you can cut your spending. Both of them contribute to your profit. So now you have a competitive marketplace where two companies that have the same inputs, the same inefficiencies, are now competing for work. So they want to move their product at the lowest possible price while still covering all of their expenses and setting enough into the kitty to continue operations. And that, that environment is not just a brewing world. The, the reason that we have as much as we have in America and we can afford to have the same phone that movie stars have, that the average working person can have the exact same phone that a movie star has who's worth billions of dollars is because of competition. And so if you look at other industries, let's just say the concrete industry, because that's what I used to be in. It's really no different than a brewery. They buy the sand, they buy the cement, they buy the rocks, they mix it all together, they bring it to the job site, they dump it, and you pay them for it. It's the same thing. They're just buying commodities. They're buying the sand, the rock, the cement. they got to buy the trucks, the same equipment to put it in the trucks. So what? where their profit lies are things like how fast can we get it made? How fast can we get it to the job site? How fast can we get the truck back so that he can get another load out in the same day? Because the driver's pay stays the same. So the more loads that that driver can deliver in one day, the more money the company's going to make. And so a lot of people see all these companies with all this equipment, all this stuff going on. They think, well, they must be making money. No, not always. In fact, not most of the time. I don't have any statistics. I don't have any numbers in front of me. But you can talk to any small business owner, even, even large small businesses. You know, I'm talking 30, 40, 50 million dollar a year revenue. They will tell you that times get tough because just because you're doing 30, 40, 50 million a year in revenue, I mean, your payroll is high, your taxes are high, your insurance is high. It's just, I always say, you're just adding zeros. I heard of a, um, a big marine construction company going out of business, you know. You would think that these people would sell. They, they would sell if things were getting tough or times were getting hard, but I mean, they ran the company out of business. So I don't know. The, the next time you think a company's doing great or you see how well you think they're doing, keep in mind there's a lot going on behind the scenes that you don't know. I was interviewed by um, a news station when we were coming off the mass mandate and they were asking me what I thought. And one of the girls, you know, she said, that's so great that you're offering food now. So, and I, I told her that we were considering building out a kitchen to offer a full menu because our, our barbecue had been such a hit. And she was like, oh, so you're going to, you're going to take the profits, all the profits from that you made during COVID and, and invest in a new kitchen. That's great. And I just looked at her and laughed. I was like, what <laughs> profits from COVID? Are you kidding me? I said, we're still living on borrowed money. Like we're on life support. She's like, oh, you know, the, I think a lot of people don't understand how money works and that businesses lose money all the time. It's part of it. You just got to keep going. If you have faith in your product and you're making progress, you just got to push forward. Although I will say at some point you, you have to stop taking on debt. And so we've, we've pretty much decided we're going to hold off on building out the kitchen. We're going to get through the summer. We're going to just push our kitchen hard through the summer stockpile as much cash as we can, pay back the money that we had to borrow to get through COVID, and see where we're at. 
But I wanted to just break it down and give you guys an example of of how how businesses struggle when it's um, basic inputs, same outputs, and that's across the board. I mean, there's some companies that these high tech companies that they're the only ones who make a product. You know that happens, and those guys make money. That's why pharmaceutical companies can be so profitable because they get a patent on something and no one else can make it. Well, they had to invest tons of research and development, and so they deserve a patent. We're not going to get into all the specifics of the drug industry right now, but either way, you can see how if you patent something or you're the only one who makes something, you have a better chance of being profitable. Don't judge a book by its cover. Not all businesses make money. Next topic, please. You know, I noticed something the other day that was pretty entertaining to me. And I was messaging back and forth with someone who I know really, really well, and they know me really well. But what was happening was that, you know, you've probably experienced this where you, you're texting with someone and then your, your questions and answers get a little bit out of sync. So they may ask you a question and then you send a response. And then as soon as your response hits, they've already hit you with a different question, totally off topic. And then so you answer that question. And so now you've got kind of got two different conversations going on. And then sometimes there'll be a third one, not very often, but every now and then there's a few people that, that I can go three conversations at the same time with. But I just thought it was remarkable that it's not everyone. You know, there's only certain people that it works with. And from my experience, it's been people that, you know, that I know really well or they know me really well. So I, I want everyone to take some time and pay attention to that because I think everyone's probably experienced the situation, but maybe you've never recognized it in a way that's kind of impressive so I don't know just something to think about that's something that uh, has only been brought about from texting I can't think of another time in history where you'd be having a conversation with someone or two conversations with the same person at one time thank you technology speaking of technology I'm going to give everyone a little bit of a lesson on the blockchain and this blockchain called ethereum uh, I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet and simple, although it's not. It's none of those. So I think a show or two back, I explained Bitcoin or, or the blockchain network in detail. So if you missed that one, go back and find it. If I'm confused and I didn't explain it, let me know and I'll, and I'll explain it. But today I want to talk about Ethereum. And I know you're hearing a lot of these words... You're hearing words like blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, tokens, Ethereum. And I know a lot of my listeners don't have a clue what it all is. So let's talk about Ethereum. So if we go back in time, we all know what Bitcoin is. And Bitcoin runs on the Bitcoin blockchain. It processes the movement, storage, transactions of Bitcoins, which is just a, it's a currency. So... That's the Bitcoin blockchain. Whenever people saw that, all these, these tech nerd computer guys saw this and they saw, okay, that technology is really cool. It's not ready for big stuff, but it's going to be fine for what it does. So we need to develop something that can handle more, that can do more, that's faster, more powerful, more secure. Well, Technically, Ethereum may not be more secure than, than the 
Bitcoin blockchain, but let's just, for all intents and purposes, security is part of it. So they built a new blockchain. And so when you hear the word blockchain, just think about it like a freeway system, right? It's just a, it's just a way that connects these miners and the miners perform algorithms to, to make, make sure that safety is maintained on this big network. But the main difference between the Ethereum blockchain and the Bitcoin blockchain is that Ethereum works on what's called proof of stake. And I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go too far into that. I'm just going to say this. Ethereum acts like a, like a server. Like you can actually build software on it. Whereas blockchain, you couldn't. You could just store numbers here and there and can't. You still can't. But you store things here and there. You move things from this side to that side. But you don't actually process things on them. And so people realized that they needed a way or a platform that could actually run programs. And so that's called the Ethereum blockchain. So Ethereum also issued tokens. Remember, these people issued tokens to fund their projects or to help fund their projects. So Ethereum issued their own token, which is also a cryptocurrency. And over time, uh, Ethereum has become the second biggest token, and it's also the second biggest blockchain. When you use Ethereum, you have to pay what's called gas fees. So technically, they don't have miners like... Uh, actually, I don't know. They may have miners like Bitcoin. I'm not exactly sure. But I know that when you use the Ethereum network, you have to pay what's called gas fees. And that is to, to cover the expense of people processing the transactions that are moving back and forth and all around. And so right now, because it's so overloaded, it's gotten very expensive. It's just a supply and demand thing. There's more, there's more demand than there is supply. There's more people that want to use it than are capable of using it. So the charges for using it are higher. And so just the other day, I, I wanted to move some money around. And, and even if you don't buy the Ethereum token, you still have to use their highway to get things from one place to another. It's like a toll road. And so I bought some cryptocurrency and I wanted to send it from one wallet to another or from an exchange to a wallet. And they charged me 10%. And I was like, man, I almost didn't move it. I thought, well, what am I going to do? If I wait, it's just going to get more expensive. So all that to say this, they're working on Ethereum 2.0. And it's going to deal with the issue of scalability. It's going to make it so that you can process more, you can do more, it can be faster. And I expect to see the evolution of these blockchains be just like the internet, how we went from a, a slow, clunky America online dial-up modem to a lightning fast T-whatever connection. And so th those are going to keep changing based on demand. Some of them will be here forever. Some of them are going to go away. But they're good to start looking at now. Great investments for the future. Uh, I highly recommend you learning about the blockchain, spending some time reading, watching some YouTube videos, and invest some extra money into some of these companies. That, however, is not investment advice. I'm not telling you which companies to invest in. I'm not saying which tokens you should buy. I'm just saying the future is here. Speaking of white people, I saw, I saw a meme the other day. 
My homeboy has sent it to me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call him out on here. Maybe he doesn't want that. Hey, give him some slack. He's the he's the he's the child of a pastor. So he sent me a meme and it had Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben, and the and the Land of Lakes Indian lady on one column. And then next to them, it had like the a picture of like the, the Quaker Oats guy. And then I think a couple of like maybe Betty Crocker or, or some other white people. And so if you'll remember a few months back, there was a an uprising about we have to take Aunt Jemima off the label. We have to take Uncle Ben off the rice. Everyone thought it was racist to have people with black skin on the products that we buy and consume every day. I don't ask me why. This is just someone's thought. I think it was probably somebody sitting up in the in the ivory tower who's just hired their their daughter with a, a degree in diversity who said this is a good thing we should do it it's not a good look for us to have black people on our products and so somebody said okay we can get some social credit um, it's not going to cost us any money let's just go ahead and do it so they do it but either way this meme was showing all the the products that have canceled the the black people on their labels and it's like deleted, deleted, deleted. And then it's like kept, kept, kept. So it's like, here we are deleting all the black people from the products, leaving only white people acceptable to put on our products. And my thought was how much longer before some people say, you know what? We, why don't we have black people on any of our products? We, we need them. We should have them. <laughs> and they will have either forgotten or they'll be too young, or they won't realize it, or they'll be too stupid to understand that someone had them deleted because it was offensive that they were on there. And rest assured, someone's going to come by one day, and they're going to say, oh, how convenient, only white people on all of your products. Huh, aren't you just a white nationalist? Which is even funnier to me, because my understanding, a white nationalist, or, or just a nationalist, is somebody who looks out for their country first. And when I grew up, we call that patriotism. That doesn't mean that you dislike other countries or you don't want to be part of another culture. It just means that on a global scale, you're going to look out for America. America number one. Just like China number one. It's okay for everyone to think that their own country is number one. People get so uncomfortable with that. But I guarantee you that if the apocalypse came and it was down to you, your house, or your neighbor's house, you would pick your house and your family. And that's just the way that it goes. That doesn't mean that you turn on them. It doesn't mean you won't help them in a time of need. That just means if you have to choose between the betterment of your house and their house in a time of crisis, you're going to pick your house. I, and I, I don't see what's wrong with that. So I think um, my cousin Harry and I have both decided that we will accept the title of being nationalists. And since we have white skin, by default, we are in fact white nationalists. So I mean, there's nothing I can say about that. I don't have a swastika, but call me a white nationalist. Maybe I'll say thank you. Maybe I'll ask that you call me a patriot instead. Speaking of patriots, on my street, I don't know why, but people speed up and down all day long. Oh, that's not true. Typically, it's at night. 
Or maybe I just notice it at night because I'm home at night. But either way, man, I'm not joking. It's less than a quarter of a mile between turning onto my street and the stop sign. And people will hit probably 55 or 60 miles an hour. I'm thinking, you, you, got, you got a stop sign coming up, bro. Like, why are you going so fast? So I'm thinking about going and finding an asphalt company and handing them green cash and say, hey, look, I want you to go put some speed bumps on that road over there. I don't want you to tell anyone where you got the money from. I don't want you to tell anyone who got you to do the job. Put the speed bumps down and go away. And I don't want any kind of paint or markings on those speed bumps that will, that will make them show up. I want them to be camouflaged. <laughs> and I'm hoping that the city would embrace it and just come out and put paint on them and signs. I used to think that it was so dumb to have speed bumps in the road until I lived on a road that people speed on. Now, you know what? I'm okay. I'm perfectly fine with speed bumps in a residential neighborhood. As long as they're the speed humps. No, not that kind of speed hump. The kind in the road that you can slowly go over. You know, the, the problem I have with the, the speed bumps that are like curbs, you have to come to almost a complete stop. Especially in my truck, the suspension is so stiff, if you don't just come to a stop and roll over it, it'll jar your teeth out. So I was coming home the other day, cutting through the Sam's parking lot because there's all kinds of construction around my house. So I have like this weaselly back way that I go to get home. And there was two cops um, parked in the parking lot. And you know how the cops will get, you know, with their driver's side windows facing each other. I pull up next to him and I go, hey, you guys want to catch some speeders? I can tell you exactly where to go. <laughs> they said, what are you talking about? I said, man, I live over there on such and such street. If you guys want to park in my driveway, you'll catch five or six speeders a night. No problem. And they said, really? You don't have speed bumps? I go, no, we don't have any. I didn't tell them that I was thinking about putting some. But they said, man, you're supposed to have them. All those streets over there are supposed to have those speed humps. And I said, well, we don't have them. They didn't work the night shift so they were going to tell the night guys to come over here i don't think anyone has which it's probably fine my dogs would go nuts if someone was parked in the driveway so i'll keep you updated i'm very very likely to go find a speed bump contractor and have them put some bumps right in front of my house maybe not right from maybe in front of someone else's house so they don't get suspicious all right we are getting close to wrapping up the program but before we go, I'd like to play for you a speech from the president. Let her rip. The vast majority of economists, left, right, and center, from Wall Street to the, to the private, private uh, 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 economic uh, polling initiatives. Oh, that's right. A vast majority of economists, left, right, and center, from Wall Street to to what? what? What was that, Joe? From Wall Street to what? To the private private uh, 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 economic uh, polling initiatives. <laughs> That's right. To the private economic polling initiatives. This dude lost his train of thought. Couldn't pick it up. The vast majority of economists from the left right and center from wall street to the economic polling wait what was that one more time to the 
private private uh, 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 economic uh, polling initiatives. <laughs> private economic polling initiatives. Private economic polling initiatives. He got so lost, he just started making up words because they don't come to him because his brain is mush, and that's why he hasn't done a press conference. But you know what? At least he doesn't send meanie tweets. And I know, I know, he has a stuttering problem. That You're right, you're right. He was kind of stuttering there. Uh, he, he had his train of thought. He knew exactly what he was going to say. It was all thought out, planned out. He just stuttered a little bit. But either way, it's good to know that the economists, all the way over to the private polling <laughs> initiatives... <laughs> agree with the stimulus package okay that's it i appreciate you listening i'm your host brandon harper this has been the life in paradise podcast i'd like everyone to go out there be brave say your opinion make fun of the president treat people respectfully help the less fortunate be generous and don't let nobody tell you what to do Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Take it off.